apples or devices, whichever you use to look at God's Word, to Luke chapter 2. This morning, we're going to be looking at verses 21 to 38. And frankly, this is a passage that I know in my Christian life, and I think often it's a passage that's easily overlooked. It's a passage that Luke... Uh, in his gospel, focuses us in on the first month, essentially, of Jesus' earthly life. And this passage, we'll see, is rich with gospel truth. And so it's a joy for me to, again, bring this passage with you. And even in light of what Todd said, sensing our need, I too sense my need this morning, not so much through physical affliction, but just longing to want God in some way to use the preaching of his word to encourage us and strengthen us. So if you could just pray with me as I begin. Father, I just thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the people here that your word teaches us are blood-bought by the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus. So Lord, I ask you right now to bless the preaching of your word. Lord, your Bible tells us that your word is powerful. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it brings hope and life to us. And Lord, will you please help me now and help each and every one of us that are here as we listen to your word, that your Holy Spirit would come and strengthen me and strengthen each of us, Lord to walk away from this time in your word, strengthened in our inner man and longing to love you and know you and serve you, Lord. So thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I begin, I want to ask a question, and I don't want you to, to necessarily respond by a show of hands because it could be revealing. But I wonder as we enter in to 2023, how many of us have made a New Year's resolution or maybe have set a goal or maybe just have something you hope to achieve? Because as I thought about myself, excuse me, going into 2023, and my wife and I talked about this a bit as well, I, I pondered, Lord, what do you want kind of as a goal or kind of as a bullseye as we go into this year. And as I was considering things, I I found myself also doing some online research on really the effectiveness of a New Year's resolution. So I found myself on the website inc.com, I-N-C.com. And on this website, I came across this set of data. It says, first of all, 41% of Americans make a New Year's resolution. I thought, well, that's interesting. But then the reality came in. Only 9% of people that make a New Year's resolution actually are successful in keeping them. Are you feeling some encouragement here on whatever resolution you've made? And then it went on to say, and this was to me very revealing, it said most people toss in the towel, give up on their New Year's resolution on January 
19th, <laughs> which statisticians have fittingly called Quitter's Day. Now, today is January 8th, and doing the math, we're 11 days from Quitter's Day. How encouraging. So 41%, and I'm assuming it's some of us, have set a New Year's resolution. Statistics tell us that only 9% will actually achieve that goal, and most of us will quit 11 days from today. Are you feeling built up so far? You're like, Todd, why did he come here, right? <laughs> but here is my prayer, that as Christians, as we enter into 2023, we will have goals, plans, resolutions, if you will, that will bring honor to God and that will not be tossed aside on Quitter's Day or any time soon thereafter. So as we look into Luke 2 this morning, my prayer is the Lord will motivate us not only to have Christ-centered, God-exalting goals this year, but will also give us the faith and resolve to pursue these goals, resulting in a deeper devotion to Jesus, an increased joy and gratefulness in our lives, and just a longing to know Christ better as we grow in our relationship with Him. So I've titled today's message, Rejoice, the Light Has Come. And I would summarize this message or maybe even just kind of plant it on an encouragement that would be this. Our Savior has come. So let's be glad. Let's rejoice and live for His glory. And you're going to see there are three points which follow pretty much sequentially along the text. My first point is going to be Jesus circumcised and presented in the temple. Then we're going to look at this man, Simeon, and his prophetic proclamations. And then finally, we're going to meet this wonderful elderly woman named Anna, and we're going to see her grateful declaration. Now, I decided because this is about 17, 18 verses that I want to read the passage as we go. And I think that's going to help us to kind of zero in and focus in more on what the Lord would have us for today. So as we get ready to dive into this passage in Luke 2, starting at verse 21, let's again, of course, first set the context. And we're familiar with these verses surrounding the Christmas story. Because right before these events is that incredible encounter the shepherds have with the angel. Do you remember? Where they're probably these burly dudes, gruff, you know, farming, in the, if you will, shepherding these sheep. And in the night, this angel appears. And remember, Luke tells us that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel says to them, of course, easy for us to receive this, but imagine if you're out going for a walk tonight, and the glory of the Lord shines upon you, right? Because the angel understandably says, fear not. <laughs> of course, they're probably, you know, shake. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, the angel says, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day 
in the city of David a Savior who's Christ the Lord. And Luke goes on to tell us that quickly the shepherds go to Bethlehem and they found Mary and Joseph and, and baby Jesus lying in a manger. I mean, just trying to think of their excitement. This angel shows up and they go and they find Jesus with Joseph and Mary. And it says that when these shepherds arrived, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. These were incredible times, as we've heard in the Christmas season around the birth of our Savior. But now Luke takes us into the events following the birth of Jesus. Again, as I said earlier, a passage that throughout my Christian life, I honestly could, would say, I typically haven't studied this. In fact, I even was asking myself this week, I thought, well, if you had asked me two months ago before I started digging in and studying this passage, say, Michael, give me some trivia about the man Simeon. Then like, say what? <laughs> How about Anna? Remember her? Not really. And so we're going to, again, see these encouraging events. So let's get right into my first point. Jesus circumcised and presented in the temple. So I'm going to read, and please read along with me, Luke 2. We'll start at verses 21 to 24. Luke tells us, and at the end of eight days, so baby Jesus now is eight days old as he begins, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So after the shepherd's departure, Luke now draws our attention to these key events, as I mentioned before, in the first month of baby Jesus' life. In, a, in an obedience to Old Testament law, Jesus is circumcised at the age of eight days old. And we're already seeing here the devotion of Joseph and Mary. They are following God's law with their firstborn son. But what does Jesus' circumcision communicate to us? We don't want to just brush over this. Luke, under the inspiration of God, is saying, Jesus, at eight days old, was circumcised. Well, I think Kent Hughes answers this question well for us. He says, it was important that Christ be circumcised. For circumcision was commanded in Genesis 17 for all males who would be part of Abraham's household. Without it, he says, Jesus could not have identified with his people even though he was of pure Hebrew blood. See, in other words, what Luke is encouraging us in here is Jesus is fully identifying with the human race. It's like Paul wrote later on in Galatians 4. He said that, speaking of Jesus, he was born of woman, born under the law. In Hebrews 2, 
we're told that since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things. See, incarnate divinity is on display here. Emmanuel, God with us in human flesh has come and our Savior is fully identifying with us as human beings. But why? Why has he come? Well, Luke almost immediately points us to his name. And he says, he was called Jesus. He was called Jesus. What does that tell us? Well, according to the ESV Study Bible, I love their definition, the name Jesus is equivalent to Joshua in Hebrew, meaning Yahweh saves or Jehovah saves or the Lord saves. See, not only is this little child fully identifying with the human race, but his name is already showing us again his mission. It's the Lord saves. He is the Lord saves. This little baby is the Lord who saves. And what has he come to save us from? Well, other scriptures inform us that he has come to save his people from their sins. He has come to save us from the penalty, God's righteous wrath for our sins. See, praise God, this little baby Jesus has come on a rescue mission to save us, his enemies. And early in Luke's gospel, he's, he's like opening the windows. He's saying, hey, baby Jesus is circumcised. He fully identifies with all of you. And by the way, his name is Jesus. The Lord saves. Do you feel your brain at my age? It doesn't take much. But just try to wrap your head around that. And then Luke tells us that now in obedience again to Old Testament law, Joseph and Mary follow the purification requirements, which are in Leviticus 12, and for the presentation of the firstborn, which is in Exodus, 15, or Exodus 13. So they come to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you study it out in, in Leviticus, this purification requirement was to be completed 33 days after the birth of a child. So this means now, as we look in at Joseph and Mary being in the temple for the purification and presentation, baby Jesus now is like 40 days old. And the one highlight I want to bring here is it's worth noting that Joseph and Mary, as they completed this purification rite, they could only offer as their sacrifice, Luke tells us, 
a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons instead of a lamb. And we don't, again, want to brush over this because what this means is Joseph and Mary were only able to afford the cheapest sacrifices allowed by Levitical law. And this gives us further insight into the home Jesus was born into. See, Joseph and Mary were not financially well-to-do which means the creator of the universe, Jesus, has not come to live in royalty, in the finest of homes, in the lap of luxury. No, our Savior not only was born in a lowly manger, but he grew up in a home of very modest means. And again, just letting this resonate with us, he is our humble, lowly, compassionate Savior. And he did all this. Though he was rich, the scriptures say, he became poor. Why? He did all this to save us from our sins. So there's my first point. Jesus' circumcision presented in the temple. Now let's get to Simeon. I'm, it would have been fun if I had a little more time to say, let me give a Simeon quiz right now. You say, no, don't go there, and I won't. But read along with me. I'm going to read now verses 25 to 35 in Luke 2. This is just a powerful section of Scripture here. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and then said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Joseph and Mary in the temple, they're completing this purification and presentation. And then this devout man, Simeon, who we're told was living his life, waiting for the consolation of of Israel, which means simply he was living his life in the hope, in the reality that God would come and rescue and comfort his people. In other words, day by day, Simeon was looking for the arrival of the Messiah, even as we should be looking toward the return of the Messiah. 
And we're told being directed by the Holy Spirit, he comes into the temple right around the time that Joseph and Mary arrive. And see, the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon, I, I don't know exactly how this happened. Someday if, when I see Simeon in glory, I'd like to ask him, like, how did you know? How did the Lord reveal to you, Simeon, that you would get to see the actual Messiah? But what we do know is the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that before he died, he would actually see the Christ. Now, Luke doesn't tell us if Simeon was really old. Some scholars think he was because of the context. Hey, before you die, you're going to see the Lord's Christ. We don't really know. But what we do know is he was living in the reality and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit that he was going to see the actual Messiah. And so, you know, as I try to put myself in his shoes, I'm wondering, again, how it clicked in his heart and mind. But as he sees Joseph and Mary with Jesus, in his soul, the Holy Spirit reveals to him, it's him, Simeon. I mean, I'm thinking, whether this guy's young or old, I'm just imagining, he's in the temple, and the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, Simeon, it's him. See that couple right there? They just offered the turtle doves and the pigeons. That baby, it's him. Now, can you imagine Simeon seeing this one-month-old baby Jesus? He comes over. Now, I don't know in his exuberance. I probably find it hard to believe that he just grabbed Jesus out of the arms of Mary. But he comes over, and the scriptures say he takes Jesus up in his arms. And he says, the scriptures say, he blessed God. Which really is an expression of praise-filled thankfulness. An exclamation of gratitude and admiration. I mean, picture this. He sees Joseph and Mary holding baby Jesus. He realizes by the Spirit... It's him, the Savior. He comes over, gets baby Jesus in his arms, and he starts blessing God. And then he breaks into this prophetic declaration, which many scholars think is a song. And I'm really tempted to try to sing it, but that would be really annoying. <laughs> so for you especially. But... Whether he sang it or just said it, notice what he says. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, I can die now because I've seen him. He said, I can depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I mean, notice the truths he's communicating here. He's saying, my eyes have seen your salvation. In other words, Jesus is our salvation. 
He said, my eyes have seen it. And then he says, and he goes on, he says, and this is a salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. In other words, he's saying this salvation is available to all peoples. Jews, Gentiles, salvation has come for all who would believe in him. From every tribe and tongue and nation. This is not just the Jewish Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. And he's singing and declaring these glorious truths. And he blesses Joseph and Mary. And then he turns and he speaks directly to Mary. And the tone radically changes. Because if scholars are right, and he's been singing and blessing God, but now he gives a second prophetic proclamation. And this one is filled with sobering, heavy words. Words that point toward the suffering and hatred that Jesus will endure. And as a result, the suffering that his mother, Mary, will endure as well. Because though Jesus is only an infant, Simeon is letting Mary know now that her son, her firstborn son, is destined to hardship, rejection, and hatred culminating in the horrors of the crucifixion. Notice what he says to her. I mean, I'm just thinking, you talk about an emotional roller coaster. He sees the baby Jesus. He runs over there. He's holding his, it's like this glorious celebration. And now he says this, he says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. In other words, he's saying Jesus will bring judgment to those who reject him and exaltation to those who humbly accept him. And then he says, and for a sign that is opposed. In other words, Jesus is going to be hated. And then he adds, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Communicating Mary will experience great sorrow at Christ's crucifixion. And then he adds, so that, many, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In other words, Jesus will show where people's hearts are in relation to God. In other words, now Simeon is giving Mary and Joseph and us also a closer look into what Jesus' life's mission will be. See, it's not coming on the heels of the Christmas season. It's not just about the joy of baby Jesus being born in a manger. We have to keep the cross on the horizon. And this is what Simeon is doing as well. See, Christ has not come as a victorious political or social messiah 
to free Israel from the bondage of Rome. No, he has come as a suffering servant to save his people from their sins. One who will bring hope and salvation to the humble. One who will bring judgment to the proud and self-sufficient. One who will be, despite living a sinless, compassionate life, will be hated and opposed by many. And because of the horrific death that will one day come to him on the cross, his mother Mary, and we see this later in the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels, his mother Mary will be devastated with a pain so severe it will be like a sword piercing through her soul. What a Savior. In commenting on this, Philip Ryken says this, with these words, this second prophecy from Simeon, Simeon offered the first hint of the great suffering Jesus would endure to bring salvation. People will despise him, reject him, and take their stand against him. In the end, of course, they nailed him to a tree and left him to die. This was the sword that pierced Mary's soul. Despite her intense joy over the birth of her firstborn son, the day would come when she would suffer such a grief, a grief of such anguish that it would strike her to the heart. But amazingly, her son was dying for her sins as well. I just added that in there. God used this prophecy to prepare Mary for the crucifixion. And when she finally found herself at the foot of the cross, she knew that prophecy had come true. The piercing sword was the death of her beloved son. Brothers and sisters, let this sink in. Baby Jesus came to be crucified. Jesus. Baby Jesus came to be crucified. Jesus. Jesus, our Lord who saves, purchased our salvation at the cost of his life and experienced the full wrath of God as Todd alluded to during communion, the full wrath of God in our place, what love, what a salvation our Savior has purchased for us. And, and if I could just pause here for a minute. If you're here this morning and you don't know this love, this salvation, you would honestly say to me if I walked up to you after the service, and don't worry, I won't confront you after the service. So are you a Christian? But if I did and you said no, I would appeal to you based on even what I've just shared. Baby Jesus came to be crucified, Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, that means you and me, whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know him? While we are still his enemies, he died for us. And if you have questions on that, go to Dan, go to Todd. Feel free to talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more about this. 
So that's the second scene here now. Simeon's prophetic proclamation. So much rich gospel truth. So now let's look at my last point. Anna's grateful declaration. So Simeon is just apparently wrapping up this second prophetic, you know, these heavier prophetic words to Mary. And then Luke informs us there was a prophetess. Her name was Anna, daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. I'm reading now Luke 2, 36 to 38. Luke describes her. He says, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, so Simeon's on the scene, now Anna's on the scene, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this incredible scene with Simeon is kind of coming to a close, and then this prophetess. And there's not many women alluded to in the New Testament with the gift of prophecy or being a prophetess, if you will. But Luke describes Anna. She comes on the scene. It says she's a prophetess. Her father's name is Phanuel, which actually means face of God. And she was born from the tribe of Asher. It seems Luke is telling us she was a devout Jew, just like, of course, Simeon was. And he also gives us a little bit of her biography if you will. He says that she lost her husband after seven years of marriage. And she's been a widow ever since, never remarried. Now, she may actually have been over a hundred years old at this point. Because the phrase, as a widow until she was 84, might also be translated as a widow for 84 years. Now, because some of us here this morning are seniors, of which I'm one, <laughs> 60 plus, I'll be careful on my wording here, but let's put it this way. Anna was either pretty old or really old or really, really, really old. But either way, we know she was 80 plus years old. And yet, she had devoted her life to the Lord through her years of widowhood. Serving in the temple, worshiping, fasting, and praying. And if I could just do a, a really quick, almost like commercial break here, I want to thank all of you senior saints that are here. Because I've had the joy of coming here to speak a few times over the years, and Many of you have faithfully served this church for years. And when I thought of Anna, and even as I got the text from Mark Thursday and I realized, okay, this seems to be the message I should preach, I found myself thinking of the seniors in Aurora that are faithfully serving this church. And if I could just say thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the way you enter into worship. Thank you for the way you support Mark and Dan and Todd and the, and, the, and the church here. So there's my quick little commercial break. And there it won't be ended by dial now, you know, 1-800 and get a free offer or something. But 
It's simply my simple expression of gratitude for the seniors who serve here in this church. So getting back to Anna, because of her age, we want to also keep in mind that in the Jewish culture, elderly people were highly respected. And so part of, I think, a reason, and some of the commentators I read emphasize this, one of the reasons Luke goes into so much detail about her age is to say, listen, this lady's also a credible witness. Now, Simeon, he had the Holy, you know, Holy Spirit's mentioned three times. I mean, it's clear the Lord was speaking to him and leading him. And now we have a prophetess who's elderly, who's devout. And as she, again, comes on the scene, Luke tells us on the heels of Simeon's words, she gives thanks to God and speaks of him, meaning Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, this aged woman declares with a heart overflowing of gratefulness and gratitude, once again, like Simeon, that this Jesus is the Lord saves who has come. She's declaring again, particularly to those in the temple, that she knew were also longing for the coming Messiah. It's Him! Now again, I wonder, maybe it's because years ago I, you know, I had dreams of acting or something, but I, I just found myself reenacting, wondering again, was she, you know, what did she sound like? What did she look like? If she was over 100, was her voice kind of raspy? I don't know, was she getting everything she could up into her lungs and saying, it's him. Listen to me, young fella, it's him. I don't know, but she was once again declaring in the temple, this baby is the Messiah who has come to save us. See, on this special day, she is the second public witness to who Jesus Christ is. And it seems, with Luke highlighting Simeon and Anna, that he's also affirming the principle in Deuteronomy 19 that on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a charge will be established. Now, this obviously isn't a criminal charge, but Luke is also making it clear to us that two credible, godly witnesses are testifying, obeying the principles of Deuteronomy 19, this baby is the Savior of the world. We needn't have any doubt. It's him. So what a day. I mean, what a day. I mean, I don't think I would have wanted to live back then. Maybe it's because I'm too soft and I like the modern things we have. But wouldn't it have been something to see these events firsthand? So as I near the end of my message now, how do we apply this? How do we look at Jesus' circumcision and his presentation in the temple, Simeon's prophetic proclamations, Anna's grateful declaration? How do we apply this to our lives this week, this year? Could this influence or should this influence if we want to have a goal, if we're considering a resolution should this inform us maybe on a resolution that we won't give up on Quitter's Day? 
And I'm just going to share personally how this passage has affected me. Because as I studied this passage, and I looked at how Jesus identified with us, and I looked at Simeon's passion and his exuberance, and I looked at Anna as an elderly woman, her exuberance and passion. Here's what I found myself longing for. I thought to myself, Lord, I want to know you better. I want to be like Anna. The older I get, the more amazed I am at who Jesus is. I want to be closer to you, Lord. I want to be more amazed. Like Simeon, it's him. I want to be more amazed at what you've done. And as I've been over these last few weeks, praying for my own heart to want to know him better. I found myself praying for my church in Westminster and your church as well. That in 2023, and this goal or resolution is biblical, which means I'm safe in saying this, right? I pray that we would all prayerfully this year, above all else, resolve to do this. Let's get to know Jesus better. Not know about him. Not read, store in more facts in our head about him. Not that there's anything wrong with that necessarily. But let's get to know him. Let's get before him. Let's say, Lord, I want to have a more intimate relationship with you. And then not surprisingly, as I was pondering this out, it's like, it's almost like the Lord, if, you know, sometimes I need to hear things a few times. I, some would say I can be dense at times, but I, I don't want to be self-deprecating here. But, but sometimes it seems the Lord has to just drive it home further. So I found myself just reading some stuff and I came across this quote from J.I. Packer. And it was just like the Lord said, listen up, get to know me better. J.I. Packer said this, what is the best thing? Now, this is Dr. Packer who wrote the book Knowing God, right? And so this guy's walked with the Lord for years and J.I. Packer says this, what is the best thing in life bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? What does Dr. Packer say? Knowledge of God. In other words, Get to know Him. I'm going to read it one more time. What is the best thing in life? The best thing. Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else. Knowledge of God. So as the worship team, I'll invite them to come back up as I close. In, the, in light of what we've looked at this morning, in light of who Jesus is, and what he's done to save us, in light of what we've learned from the examples of Simeon and Anna, let's make, and I'm preaching this to myself first, let's make knowing Christ 
our foremost goal, our number one resolution in 2023. And as a practical first step, here's what I would encourage all of us to do, and it's what I felt impressed too on my heart to do. If you go to Ephesians chapter 1, there's this beautiful prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians. And I would encourage all of us, as I've been doing over the last few weeks, pray this prayer for yourself. And I would say too, kind of hold on, because you're praying a scriptural prayer, and God's going to answer it. So as I near closing here, I'm just going to pray this prayer personalizing it for me and us, if I could. Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. As Paul prayed, and I'll pray it for us now. Father, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, Jesus Lord, enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know what is the hope that you have called us to. And Lord, that we might know what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints and what, are the imme- what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. Let's pray this prayer throughout this year for ourselves. And as God answers our prayer, I think here's what we'll find. We'll be in greater awe of the Savior. Like Simeon and Anna and like J.I. Packer said, we'll experience greater joy, greater delight, greater contentment in our lives. In other words, this will result in greater passion to serve our Lord and Savior. And in other words... My prayer is in an increasing way, like my little summary exhortation said at the beginning, from the depths of our hearts, we'll be saying, or maybe we'll be singing, our Savior has come. Let's be glad and live for His glory. Amen? Amen. Bill, 